I'm Brian Carpenter, host of Fresh Air at Five, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another wonderful episode of My EdTech Life. I appreciate you joining us on this wonderful morning or evening or well into Sunday, depending where you are in the world. I definitely appreciate you joining us and making us part of your day. And I am excited to be here today with an amazing guest who has had an amazing journey. And we're definitely going to be talking a lot about aspiring to lead his book and leadership. We're going to talk about his journey, and I'm just so excited to introduce him to you. Today, I have the honor and the pleasure of welcoming Mr. Josh Stamper or Joshua Stamper to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you this morning? Fonz, you can call me Josh. That is fine. You, you, my friend, are awesome. I cannot wait to talk with you this morning. I had the pleasure of having you on my podcast. It was so much fun to ask you questions and learn a, lo- a lot about your journey. So um, I just appreciate you giving me this opportunity to, to speak on your podcast. Excellent. Absolutely. Yes. And thank you so much for that invite. It was so much fun just to be able to share again my story, my experience and, you know, on your podcast. And also, I had the honor and pleasure of meeting you also at TCEA in person. So thank you so much for dropping in and my session on ARVR. It really meant a lot. And it was great to see you there. And uh, uh, Katie was there too, right? I believe. Yeah. Katie yeah. Miglin from the Teach Better team was there with me and we got to see your awesome presentation. It was phenomenal. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And again, thank you so much for being here. And I'm just so excited to really dive in into this conversation because I don't know if you noticed when I showed you this pre-chat, I've got like stickers here, but it's bookmarked a couple of things that I definitely want to go over that have stuck out for me. And also like, I guess it, it, it just, the timing is just perfect too, as well as, you know, these conversations are definitely important and definitely have somebody that has had that experience to just be able to bounce ideas off and just see where you're at today and what you continue to do. So Joshua, for, or Josh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Josh, for all our audience members that are watching us, catching us on the replay, or just getting to know who you are for the very first time, can you give us a little brief introduction and what your context in education is? Yeah. So right now I'm a training and development specialist for the Teach Better team. I get the wonderful opportunity to serve districts and schools all over this country and just love the position. I also manage the Teach Better Podcast Network. We have 40 different podcasts that we have a part of that. And it's free content that I just love being associated with. And then, of course, I just have a lot of different other roles. I won't bore you with the many things I do for the Teach Better team, but um, absolutely love that group. And just it's a true honor um, to be a part of the team. Uh, prior to that, I was an administrator for almost 10 years um, in middle school and really didn't expect to be an administrator. I was an art teacher. I was a coach for six years. Um, Probably, let's see, after my third year, I got a tap on the shoulder from one of my assistant principals. And I was in the break room just trying to get some coffee, but he had a very different agenda. He uh, asked if I wanted to be an administrator and saw myself as a principal someday. And I actually laughed in his face because I I didn't think he was being serious. Uh, I was like, no, I haven't ever thought about that. Why is that? in your head, you know, why do you think that's even a possibility? And he was talking about just the things he saw, how it was impacting students' lives, and then also beyond in my classroom and on the campus. And um, 
came home, I asked my wonderful wife, like, what do you think about this? Is this something that um, you'd be open to? Because it means I have to go back to school. We have, of course, a family. Now we have six kids. At the time, we didn't, but it was still going to be a, a pressure point on the family because I was already working a lot as a coach. So she, of course, was very supportive. A month later, I was in the program and got my master's in educational administration. Uh, let's see, my, after my sixth year, I, I got to be a dean of students, worked with mostly discipline, but really was kind of like an assistant principal position, still providing feedback to teachers and whatnot. But uh, got pr promoted the following year and was an assistant principal for nine years. So it was a crazy journey. I've learned quite a bit as an administrator. I can only say it's it's kind of like riding a bike, but the bike is on fire, you're on fire, everything's on fire. And I uh, loved every aspect of it and really felt like I had my hands you know, on the, on the culture of the school. Excellent. Well, that's great to hear. And we're going to dive in into a little bit more of that because I know you gave us the abbreviated version, but you know, as I was reading your book and then seeing and hearing some of the things, and then of course I've heard you speak on other podcasts too as well. I'm like, wow, like, like just, this is amazing. And it's something that's relevant to today because oftentimes, you know, the transition from going to the classroom and going into administration is not very easy. And I will talk a little bit about that as some of the things that you shared in your book. And of course, your Aspire model, definitely want to go through that because I, when I was, when I read through it, I'm like, my gosh, like, yes, like seen it, seen it, seen it, felt it, seen it. And, you know, like I said, this is such a great book. So for anybody who is aspiring to be a leader or is in leadership right now, this is definitely a book that I would recommend, Aspire to Lead. So make sure that you do get it because it is a phenomenal read. It's very easy to go through. The tips are practical. And I can bet you one thing is that you're going to find something in that book that is relevant to you at that given moment or you have felt or you can prepare for and anticipate what may be coming. So, Josh, I want to go back to your story because I want to go through your journey a little bit because I know that in your bio and in other shows, you talked about how within the classroom, when you were a student, you struggled a bit. And so let's talk a little bit about that, that origin story uh, that helped you come up into the education leadership role. So where did that start? Much later in life, because yes, you're correct. I did not like school at all. I, it was the last place I wanted to be. And mostly because I just didn't feel like it was preparing me for adulthood. A lot of things that we learned in class, just I didn't have a practical application for it. It was one of those things where it was like, sit down, shut up, listen to the teacher for almost an hour. And then I'm going to give you a boatload of homework <laughs> that you have to go home and do um, for the next day. Um, it was just very monotonous. I was very active. Uh, I was in sports all my life. I tried to take as many PE classes as possible because I just needed to move and run um, and be active. And I felt like in the classroom, that was just the opposite of what was expected of me. And so it was just not very conducive. I, I wanted to be free and creative and, you know, find things that were going to help me as an adult. And I just didn't really feel like that was um, the case. So yeah, school, I hated it. Um, I didn't find the purpose of it. Also on the back end, there was a lot of stuff going on at home um, and I didn't feel like I had control over that situation. I don't know if I was depressed or whatnot, but I just was feeling very stuck. And so what I did in this, you know, now reflecting as an adult wasn't very good, but I felt like I had control over school. Like nobody could touch school. I could do what I wanted. So what I chose was I wasn't going to do anything at all. I was just going to have fun. So that's 
really what it came down to. I did not participate. I did not do well. My grades were terrible. Um, it really was the act of a counselor, um, probably I think my sophomore or junior year, pulled me in and had a very uncomfortable conversation with me and really was not tactful uh, with how he was trying to motivate me. However, it pretty much created a firestorm inside of me that got me not only through high school, graduated, but also into college um, because he really was just demeaning, um, really told me I was going to do anything with my life, was going to get into college, laughed at you know some of the things and aspirations I had um, in my mind as far as being um, an adult. And because of that conversation, I was just determined to prove him wrong and prove everybody else like, okay, I understand a lot of teachers say I have potential, but, you know, they really were scoffing and just very negative about, you know, my future and probably are surprised where I ended up today um, based on, you know, the output that I was putting. So all that being said is, yeah, I wanted to get as far away from education as possible. I, I dis dislike school. Um, however, I love sports. And um, I loved art. <laughs> those are the, my two passions. And really the only reason I went to school were for those two things. I became a graphic designer after college, did that for a couple of years, but then the recession hit and my job was dissolved and I didn't know what I was going to do. So came home, told Leslie, my amazing wife about what was going on and that I was going to need to find something quickly. Um, she asked, what were my two passions? And when I told her, she was like, well, it sounds like you need to go and be like a coach and a teacher. <laughs> so I was, I, I love sports. I want to be around that. And some of the most impactful people in my lives were coaches, soccer coaches growing up. And I thought, well, I could definitely do that. Some of the art teachers that I had one in high school, Miss Lurch, she was phenomenal and she made a huge impact on my life. So I was like, well, I will just model what I've want to be like from my experience and, and be like those folks and so i went back to school did some coaching on the side <laughs> i was a paraprofessional with special education got to work with some phenomenal kids and just work with them each day while i was also student teaching so just trying to piece that together as best i could to get as much experience with kids so that when i became a teacher i knew what that life was going to be like and and i could you know hit the road running so yeah that's kind of my journey i I just wanted to make sure that any position I had in education was allowing kids to understand that they felt like they were wanted, that they were amazing, and that they were running into school versus what I was doing, which was running out as quick as I possibly could. Wow, that is very powerful. And like you said, you know, coming up and sometimes that's what it takes, you know, that that conversation and, uh, you know, to kind of flip the switch and be like, oh, okay. And look at what you've been able to accomplish. And I want to talk a little bit about this, uh, like as far as, you know, going back and working with special ed department and, you know, the work that you did during student teaching. Did, how did that experience make an impact on you as well or, or give you more of a drive? Like you said, right now at the end, you wanted to make a place where students can be heard, their voices can be amplified. So working with the special population in special education, how did how did, what did that do for you and, you know, and I guess motivate you to maybe say, hey, you know what, maybe I can do more? Oh, for sure. Fonz, I actually almost changed my major. Like I had such a, a phenomenal experience with the special education unit. Uh, we were with a behavior unit where it was some pretty high needs. Um, I had a spina bifida student that I worked with specifically, and I've always been drawn to struggling students and and those who 
maybe are dismissed or unseen. I, I always try to seek out those kids and I've mentored every year that I've been in public education. I've tried to do above and beyond of trying to coach and, and help kids with social skills or just life skills, right? So um, yeah, I absolutely loved it. I felt like it gave me also an opportunity as a aspiring teacher at the time to learn from other people. I got to sit in other people's classrooms, see what I liked, what I what didn't work, um, kind of get a chance to bounce ideas off of other amazing teachers and, and learn from them even before I got to be a teacher myself. So also I figured if I could teach a kid that's got some really difficult behavioral needs, then I could teach anyone. And that was kind of my outlook. So I, I thought it was just a wonderful experience that gave me some insight prior to even having the job. And when I got the job, I thought I had a leg up because not only had I, I had my student teaching, but I also had this other experience for two years where I got to work in a middle school, junior high and high school as paraprofessional. Yeah. And you know what, uh, what I wanted to lead into that was again, right before, and you mentioned it right before even getting into that full-time position, the experience that you had learning from different perspectives, you mentioned something learning from leadership. And all this to say, because one of the things that I wanted to touch on that I read in your book was, you know, obviously you were in the classroom, you were doing some great things with students. It was something that was visible. Like, you know, sometimes, you know, people can pick up on that energy. They see what you're doing for the students. They, they see how you go above and beyond. So then you start getting that attention from maybe admin. And like you said, you know, there was somebody that came up to you and said, hey, would you consider you know, ever being admin. So I want to know a little bit about that conversation a little, you know, if you can go and tell me exactly how you felt when somebody, maybe they just caught you off guard and said, hey, have you ever considered this? What was the first thing that ran through your mind? I, I was overwhelmed, honestly, with the thought of it because I felt like I was just learning how to become a teacher and coach. Like I finally felt after year three comfortable in, in that position. I felt like I was getting a good, you know, drive as far as like my curriculum and, and like my strategies within the classroom. I felt like my time management was finally in place. Like there was just a lot of things I felt very comfortable with. And that idea just like flipped it around where I was very uncomfortable because I was like, well, then I'm going to have to start all over as far as the learning process. For me, though, I'm always up for a challenge. I like change. I, maybe that's some of my background. We, we used to move a lot growing up. So like change doesn't, I'm not afraid of change. <laughs> that's, there's nothing wrong with that uh, for me. So I was, I was up for the challenge. But yeah, it was a little overwhelming with that conversation. I definitely had multiple conversations prior to entering into the master's program because I really wanted to get a good understanding of what the workload was, you know, what was the pathway? Like, how do I go about being a teacher to an admin? Because I mean, as an art teacher, there are some bias as far as what that looks like. I, I wanted to make sure that, you know, people understood that I was doing some things that were fun. Yes. But also there were some wonderful instructional practices that were going on too. And that, you know, unfortunately, sometimes the electives grouped is seen as a lesser class, you know, because it's not tested by the state. And so I didn't want the view of what my position was to interfere with the fact that I could lead a building. And so that was kind of my charge. I want to make sure that I had the support too, of course, with the administration to, to give me the experiences needed. I was very intentional about finding mentors, you know, so there was a lot of planning on the back end prior to even getting into the master's program. Um, but 
you know, thankfully I had just uh, amazing administrative staff that was very supportive, gave me every opportunity possible. I just needed to ask. So that was that was the main point. That's wonderful. And that's great that you did your homework and your due diligence to say, okay, before I commit to this, this is something that I need to know. And of course, talking to those leaders around you and, you know, gratefully, I'm grateful that you had some wonderful leaders around you that were willing to spend that time with you to help you and grow you because they saw the potential in you. That's not always the case in in every area. Sometimes you're going at it solo and, you know, you're going and making, you're bumping, you're having barriers but you have to overcome those things. You know, sometimes there used to be like kind of like a grooming process. I would always think and see earlier where you had the the principal would, you know, groom, of course, the the assistant principal because they knew that they were coming out and then they do the dean and things of that sort. So there was kind of like that mentality. Let's work together. We're going to build you up because, you know, this is the progression. This is the way it goes. And it just seems like from one, from, I don't know, maybe at one point, to now, with everything that has happened, it's where, like you said, it's like the bike's on fire. It's like riding a bike, but the bike's on fire. And you're trying to manage so much that I think some of that kind of induction and that mentorship has kind of fallen by the wayside because you're just, you're trying to put band-aids on everything and trying to help those, uh, you know, solve some problems, big problems that may be happening. So I wanted to ask you, what would your advice be for somebody that is aspiring to be a leader, but may not be surrounded? And I'm not saying that with uh, maybe those mentors, they're surrounded by great people, but they don't have the bandwidth to kind of sit and because there's so much going on, what could they do? No, that's a great question because I've had that happen. I mean, I've been extremely fortunate in my own journey to have some great leaders that were mentors, but I didn't just stay there like within my campus. I was very intentional about trying to learn from other people. And so I asked my principals all the time, like, hey, there's a principal here in the district that I would love to sit down with. They've agreed to meet with me, you know, during their lunch. Is it okay if I, during my lunch, go and and have that conversation with them and, and come back? And, you know, so I had to make arrangements for that. Sometimes I would take a day off and I would just take a personal day and I'd go to another campus and shadow that principal for the day, making arrangements. So I was always very intentional for myself, even though I had great people on my campus to, to reach out and say, hey, is it okay that I can learn from you? Obviously, social media now is a huge piece. I, I've built my PLN and have done that for a really long time. So like Twitter, Instagram, all that. Um, even just reaching out and saying, hey, can we meet over Zoom for a little bit of time? And obviously, I have my podcast now, too. So I get to learn from fantastic leaders uh, almost every day. But, you know, for myself, I not only wanted to reach out and, and find great leaders, but I also, when I became an administrator, wanted to be that for other people. And so I would constantly say, hey, if you have the opportunity, come to my campus. You can shadow me. You can see what the job is, get that experience. And a lot of people actually took me up on that. So, you know, I think that's that's the main thing is just you got to be active. You got to reach out. You got to knock on that door. You got to, you know, a lot of times people have this fear of like, oh, they're going to say no. They're too busy. You know, they're not they're never going to take the time for me. And, th and that's far from the truth. Educators, especially educational leaders, are so giving of their time, their expertise, you know. So I, I always say reach out because most often they're going to say yes, you know, and and people want to pour into other educators. 
And so for myself, for a lot of other people, that's, that's what we got into leadership for is to build additional leaders, to make an impact on the campus and districts and whatnot. So yeah, that was, that's my advice. Continue to reach out in your own district, outside the district, find opportunities to meet with people and, and to learn from their experiences. Excellent. Well, I want to give a shout out to some of the people that are in the chat right now. This morning, we had Amanda Macias. Thank you so much. We've got Josh Tovar, also principal extraordinaire as well. And we've also got Tim Cavey here, Teachers on Fire. So let me bring up a comment that Josh uh, stated here. It says, if you're not on social media, you still rent your movies at Blockbuster and you buy your pants at Montgomery Wards. So put down your beta tape and get on Twitter, which kind of, you know, sounds exactly what you said. Best advice, make some connections on social media. Tim, thank you so much for joining. Love the offer of job shadowing. That's such a great. Great, great advice. And again, Josh, agree. Reach out, Josh. Reach out to meet after the podcast. So <laughs> there you go. Thank you so much, guys, for all those comments. All right. So, Josh, the other thing that I want to add to this is that now you got that, you were mentored, you finished your program, and now you're transitioned. Now, I want to tell you a little story about my transition too as well. And I want to see if it was something that you kind of go through because it seems like it, it it's almost like, if you don't go through that, then like, are you really an admin or are you really this? But it's really that transition is going from classroom. Now you're kind of seen as central office staff or you're seen as that admin. It, the first thing that I got when I went back to the school that I, I was at for about six years in my career and worked well with all teachers and my first day back there in a different role, in a different position as instructional tech, the first comment that I get from a fourth grade teacher was, oh, you're one of them now. And it was just seemed like there was like this like like a uh, bond that broke. And it was like, do I even know you? Like that was that attitude. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is this was weird. And and that transition, it, it was kind of like, whoa, like like what happened? You know, so I want to know your experience, because I know that you said you were in the classroom for about three years. You were doing your program, and I know that a lot of people were probably like, wait a minute, three years in the classroom, and you're already doing this, and you're doing this, but sometimes they forget that, you know, the experience that you had prior to this is really can also be what kind of sets you apart. So talk to me a little bit about that transition. Yeah, so that was hard, Bonds. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it, it, was a quick, it was a quick switch between our teacher to what they viewed as being an administrator, even though I didn't have the title. Um, I, I ascended quickly though, as far as what I was responsible for, what tasks I had, what meetings I was a part of. So it went from like new teacher to all of a sudden I'm with the administrators. And so, yeah, I got a lot of comments of being on the dark side, you know, being a part of, you know, the admin team. Um, and it was kind of a, why does he get this opportunity when there's other people on the campus that have more experience type of thing? And so I had to work through that. A lot of the friendships that I had deteriorated to the point where, you know, it really was just when I saw him in the hallways and that was the only time I saw him, uh, conversations would stop when I would come up um, because they thought, you know, I wasn't a part of the, the teacher team anymore, um, even though that wasn't the case. Um, so, yeah, I just had to kind of work through that and understand, like, this is my goal. I want to become an administrator. And if that's how I'm viewed, I, I will do my best to support them and, and trying to let them understand, like, there's really no difference than what there was before. 
but yeah, it was something that I think every leader, especially if you're, if you're rising on a campus has to understand, like those relationships are going to change. It's natural. Um, especially when you have to assess teachers on a campus. Now I didn't, I didn't have to assess them. I, I didn't have anything as far as their formal observation or anything like that, but that still was their viewpoint, you know? So I was very transparent about the roles and uh, responsibilities I had. If I was in a classroom, I was always, I always asked permission. I always let them know why I was there. Um, sometimes I did have to take data, but it wasn't on the teachers at all. It was, it was really about student um, input and what they were doing in the classroom. So uh, I had that experience of being in classrooms, which I loved. But sometimes, you know, you walk into a classroom and they would stand up from their desk and start working with the kids. And it's like, well, that's that's not why I'm here. And I'm not an administrator. So, like, you don't have to act like that, you know. So it was it was weird waters to navigate. Um, I, I would love to say that it was better when I was a dean of students because it's on a different campus. But it was I got a different set of problems <laughs> when I got into that role. So um, I think when if you are one that, you know, is a teacher on a campus and becomes administrator, that is something that is going to be hard to transition. I think that's because your role and responsibilities have have changed drastically. You were seen as a peer and now you're the boss. And so even if that's even if that's correct, it's hard for people to kind of compartmentalize what those roles are and, and how that relationship should be moving forward. Yeah, excellent. I do see that. Like, you know, it was very interesting. Like I said, that transition, it's like now, oh, you're one of them and so on. Uh, one of the things, though, is that I've always tried to remain, obviously, in favor of the teacher. I knew what that struggle was in, you know, eight years uh, in the classroom. Actually, yeah, eight years. No, 11 years in the classroom. Oh, my gosh. I'm, it, it was eight years in elementary, three years in high school. And, you know, for me, it was always like, man, classroom is great. As soon as that door closes, I'm like, yes, you know, this is my domain. Like, I am the master of this classroom and just having fun with the kids and doing all those things. But I always said, oh, man, when you open that door and that extra administrative stuff that comes in, it's kind of what bogs you down. And, and but sometimes what I learned very quickly was just do as I'm told, you know, what as far as the administrative stuff, get it done right away and you're done. And then you just continue doing what you need to do. Whereas opposed, uh, there were other colleagues that I had that oftentimes spent more energy kind of just going against what needed to be done. And I, and I get it because sometimes some of the stuff was like, oh, my gosh, this is, you know, I can't believe they're asking for this or they're needing this and so on. But I figured I was like, the faster I get this done, the better. And then I can just fo focus and concentrate on what we need to do. Um, then coming into this role, too, it was always like, you know, and, and I'm kind of very vocal and everybody kind of knows me as being very vocal. And I, I've just obvi obviously always expressed what I see teachers going through. And sometimes it could be, like you said, like, a, well, actually, just kind of like a shock, you know, because there seems to be a disconnect many times, you know, and so I've always been kind of like pro teacher and, you know, kind of like, hey, you know, advocating, uh, because sometimes, you know, some of those things can be a little bit overwhelming and try to balance those things out. So, you know, and even then, so like I said, the transition, getting looked at as like oh you're one of them and then up here kind of like oh you're you're here <laughs> kind of like too like it's like hey you know what we, we just got to find that balance you know make it make that connection let's let's build together let's build that community so one of the things also i want to talk to you about is uh if you can go through your aspire model which i think this was one of the things that for me made like so much sense because it, it was so 
I mean, really, it, I'm going to show it here. I mean, it's this much of the Aspire model. And I just reading it, I'm like, you make it sound so simple, <laughs> you know, and it hits and it resonates and it caused me to reflect a lot on my practice. So tell us a little bit about this. And again, guys, if you haven't picked up the book, please do so. And I have been dropping the link. Please make sure that you do get that this book because it is a wonderful read for any aspiring educator or uh, current educator, excuse me, current leader or aspiring leaders as well. Yeah, I'm not going to go through the entire model of fonts. No, just no because... not the whole model, but just. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I want to give just kind of some context. Yeah. I love the fact that you thought it was um, easy because that's really what I was trying to do was trying to simplify. And the reason I built the model was because of what I saw as an administrator working with aspiring leaders was that a lot of times they had this grand idea of what the position was, how they were going to get to that, that role and, and, you know, get that promotion. And then I would have a great conversation with them and then I'd never see them again. So like the first letter is the A, it's uh, activate and activate obviously was like, you got to get up, you got to get out of the four walls of your classroom. You need to get those experiences. You need to knock on some Mm -hmm. doors. You know, so I wanted to make it so that it wasn't, it wasn't a model that was point A to point B, right? It was something that you can use any of the letters within the model at any point. So for instance, like R is for reflection. Well, if you're only reflecting at the end of the process, like obviously you're not going to be very successful. So I didn't want it to be linear. I didn't want it to be something like, you know, A plus B equals C. I really wanted to be something that was very intentional actions that you needed to do throughout the process and re- and do it repeatedly to make sure that you're the best leader possible. And then in addition to the Aspire model, I wanted to really focus on like three characteristics that I felt like every leader, regardless if you're first day on the job to a veteran 20-year leader that you need to have every single day. And so, you know, I, I talk about like how I became an administrator. And once I was an administrator, these are the three characteristics that I needed. So yeah, I wanted to to have kind of a, a guideline, a map. I put down a lot of failures. <laughs> I, I was not perfect by any means. Um, and I want to make that as clear as possible. Like you are going to trip up. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to step on people's toes. You're going to do things that you thought and assumed was the correct decision. And then once you are through that, realize and learn, okay, there's a better way to do this. And so, yeah, the, the book is a lot of stories, <laughs> a lot of things that I did that, you know, were incorrect, but also, you know, giving the, the advice of like how to get to the next stage. So for instance, like the ease for execute, I wanted to make sure that there were things in there that were practical for aspiring leaders, because a lot of folks have never done an interview with a panel of 12 people staring at you from upper admin, you know, or some people have never created a a resume for that position. and, And what do I put on that? And you know, just some some things that you need to know, to experience, to go through prior to even getting to that point. And so I wanted to help as much as possible um, to give some some pointers, some some tricks and tips um, for our aspiring leaders. No, and it's great. Like I said, and it, it's so simple. And I love, like you said, too, it, does, it doesn't have to be linear. At any given time, you can go to any one of these, activate, support, persevere, identify, reflect, and execute. And I'm just like, wow. This is amazing. And and again, uh, you know, not being kind of in that, it, you know, principal role or admin role, but even in my practice, you know, and of course, aspiring to lead like this, like I said, when I, as I read the book, I was like, how can they make this sound so simple? But yet, you know, going through it, 
and reading it and reflecting. And then, of course, following up in the book, I'm like, oh, man, like this makes so much sense. And that's why I said in the beginning, you know, this book is great for somebody that might be at that at this given time may need this or could have used it or in anticipation of something that may be coming. They definitely be prepared with anything here in this model. One of the things that I want to ask you now also, too, for aspiring leaders and, of course, getting your experience from your role, like you mentioned, that transition into admin, you know, finding your voice as a leader. How difficult was that for you in the beginning or was it even difficult for you? You know, so tell us a little bit about that. It was difficult, Fonz, because I, you know, you talk about like the Superman story. I've, I've listened to your podcast a lot and I, I've had that syndrome for sure. I went from a affluent area to one that was a Title I school. The things that, the needs of that campus were very different because of who we were serving and a lot of things were going on in the community that was then being brought back onto the campus. And so when I got there, the staff was really looking for someone to solve all of the student discipline issues and just make every student just the most perfect person in the classroom engaged and whatnot. And they really thrust that on to me as far as their expectations. And I took that on 100%. I just thought I was going to solve every issue on the campus and worked myself to the bone um, trying to do that. And I, I definitely got burnt out. I did not do what I thought was in the best interest of the students because I was really just focused on, you know, what certain people thought should happen in regards to discipline. And what happened was I was just extremely unhappy. I, I felt like I was not myself and I was just kind of doing what other people thought I should do. And that took a toll on me. So probably 70% into the school year, I decided to make a drastic change. Um, at the same time, we were going through the foster care process, my wife and I, and I learned about trauma-informed care and restorative practices. Um, you probably hear one of our foster babies in the background. <laughs> She's having a great old time. Um, so with that training, I kind of found myself. I found what my values, my passions were, and that was serving students that were having a really difficult time at home and, and didn't have a lot of support. And a lot of times, you know, it was like a single family home. They were working three jobs, just trying to get by and, and make ends meet. And what we were doing as a campus was, was not providing for them. And in fact, what we were doing was just sending them back into the community to, to learn from, from people that really didn't have their best interests in mind. And so, um, I just made it a charge to like, not only fix my, my, professional life, but also my personal life and the balance there. Um, and then also get to finding a, a new resolution for making an impact with students and, and management, student management, really. Um, and, you know, I took, took some lumps on the head with some teachers and had some really crucial conversations about them um, not believing in what I was doing and trying to explain, like, what the process was, what was thinking, what was the data, what was the research that was behind that, and then also really presenting the solutions and like what was the outcome on the other end of it. And like, obviously the relationships with the students were better. They weren't making the same mistakes as often. So, you know, really showing them that it was making a really positive impact. And thankfully I got to like move up, go to a different campus and build my own system there as far as the restorative practices and, and changing kind of, they had very similar 
things going on on that campus. So I was able to like kind of take what I learned from my Adina students time, bring that over and like build it again and really learn from my mistakes as a dean and had a much success, more successful time as an, an AP there at my next campus. And, you know, you kind of talked a little bit about what I wanted to go into as well, which is, uh, you know, one of the, the chapters here, empathy as a leader, you know, and the importance of that. And I know, like I said, right, right now you see it all over the news, you see it everywhere, social media and everything, you know, it's not a, it's a very difficult time right now, I guess, to be not only a teacher, but also think about the administrators too, as well. And, and oftentimes, you know, as teachers, it's like, oh, no, this is all the administrators fault. And then the administrator, oh, no, this is no, but I mean, we're all human. We're all people. We all, you know, we all need help at some point in time. And right now, you know, I actually, there was an article that somebody posted and I can't remember if it was through Ed Week or through something like how they said, they asked like, is this the principal exodus now, you know, and so on, you know, it's, it's a difficult time, but you know, what, what things or what advice could you give to somebody right now, you know, and then to kind of find not necessarily a solution right away because there's so many issues, but just to find some, maybe just get centered, get balanced and try and, you know, bring that energy to somebody else at their campus, you know, to change the culture or better the culture as best as they can. Yeah. I think taking care of yourself is, is number one. I, I, Learned that the hard way. Like I said, I almost stepped away after my first year in admin because it was just like, I can't, I can't fail both on the campus, or at least I felt like that. And then also fail as a husband and, and a dad. And so like, I, I felt like there were some things that I needed to change quickly. And thankfully I had, like I said, mentors that really built me up, kind of shared what they did to kind of help themselves with like balancing and they gave me permission to do things that I didn't think were allowed as an administrator. So for instance, like not checking email after a certain time and silencing the phone and doing some things that were practical because even though you're an administrator, you shouldn't have to be on call 24 seven. And when you are, that's when things hurt. That's when you start to burnout that's when you start to feel like you you don't have a life and and that's not how anyone should feel obviously as an administrator we have more and more things put on our plate every single day you just got to figure out what's important unfortunately a lot of times that doesn't happen until you have a little bit more experience so i knew exactly what needed to get done when it needed to get done and uh, i was my, my, very much um, into time management for my, myself i got to school really early because nobody was in the building I was able to get a lot done in a short period of time. And then I was able to not have to bring things home. And that was really important for me. So like once I was off the campus, disengaging and making sure that I was intentional about being a dad and, and pouring into them instead of having to bring a stack of a box or a suitcase <laughs> home with me of papers and different things. Um, I was really important on like finding systems in place to like, figure out, okay, this is the stuff that needs to go on the computer. This is where the filing system, this is like what I can do within this t short time before school without any interruptions. And, you know, when I can make my phone calls to parents, it was, you know, a time that I could reach them, you know, so there were like certain things that I knew had to get done that were extremely important. And then figuring out how to delegate, <laughs> because that's the other thing is like, I tried to take on everything. So I took on every task possible. And so if a person 
came to my office, had a problem. I would then put that on my shoulders and say, oh, I got it. You, you, you can go away. You can do your own thing. And instead of like teaching them how to solve the problem and then also who are my folks that I can, you know, bring into the situation to collaborate with for them to take certain pieces of that so that it wasn't my only initiative. This was my only problem solving. This was me taking on absolutely everything because as a new leader, like I said, when I had that Superman syndrome, it was like, oh, you got a problem? I'll solve it. And you don't have to be a part of that process. And then mm -hmm. pretty soon I had 80 different problems I was trying to solve in a short period of time, in addition to the hundreds of students that, you know, are having behavioral issues also. So, yeah, I think there's some things that, you know, as a leader, we can kind of cut away the fat. Like there's just things that we don't have to do that are only going to cause stress in our life and make us inefficient. And if we can take those away, you know, it's going to make us better as human beings. And if you feel like you're not there mentally, then you need to take care of yourself. You need to do something about that. And a lot of times, and I was a victim of this too, of like not feeling like I could take a day off when I needed it, you know, and, and I'm giving you permission that if you need to do that, um, you know, take care of your mental well-being, find something that uh, can be an outlet, a passion, something that you love to do on the campus and off the campus. Like if you're only doing things that you hate to do, you're not going to last very long in that position. So what are you passionate about? And I talk about that in my book too, of like passion projects. Like I always had to find a project that I wanted to pour into and I made time to do that because I was always happier when I had the opportunity to, to feed into that passion project. Um, I know it sounds like more work, but it doesn't feel like more work because you love it and you know it's impacting kids. So, you know, there's, there's got to be something that you enjoy. There's something that you want to put your hands on and, and be a part of. So, those are just a few things I would I would advise administrators to do. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for that advice. And before we you know start wrapping up, as we're kind of on the tail end of uh, the show and everything, I, I want to talk a little bit about your transition now. I mean, now you're with Teach Better Team. So tell us a little bit more about that. You know, maybe just you know, was it an easy transition? Was it something that was just like, man, this is right my cup of tea? Or again, was it a similar experience to like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? And let's just dive in and, and do that. And tell us a little bit about your current role and obviously the impact that that makes on educators and leaders as well. Yeah, so I had the wonderful opportunity to, to work with Teach Better for a part-time position working with their, their podcast network. So <laughs> I, I met Bonnie in person too. So good morning, Bonnie. Um, so... With the Teach Better team, I am the training and development specialist. And what that means is that I get to, to go to different districts, speak. I speak a lot on restorative practices and trauma-informed care. That's uh, a big passion of mine, something that I've implemented on multiple campuses. Um, but I also get the opportunity to, to build courses, edit videos. Um, we go live every Wednesday and Friday, so sometimes I, I join the, the team on that. Um, obviously, the podcast network is a huge piece of that. As far as the transition... No, it wasn't a, a, a big transition because I had worked with the team. Um, I got a chance to go to the Teach Better 19 conference and met Ray, Jeff, and Chad there. Um, I had just a phenomenal time. It was by far the best conference I've ever been to. And um, because of that experience and, and meeting them, I got to you know have additional projects that I worked on with them. Um, Jeff joins me on my podcast for the Aspire Mailbag. We answer leadership questions, um, and we do that once a month. So we've been doing that for a couple of years and our relationships just continue to grow. And I, I just love the team so much as far as the impact. Like, yeah, I, I've always thought as far as 
a leader, I wanted to touch the lives of as many people as possible. And in a building, you can do that with hundreds, thousands of people. But, you know, as a principal too, when you get to a district leader, maybe it's a little bit larger. But like, I feel like with the team, I have the ability to touch even more, you know, lives and, and build in and, and help people as much as possible. So, you know, I do coaching now, I present and obviously I have the podcast. So there's a lot of avenues where I feel like I can, you know, help other people. Uh, I don't know where that's going to go. <laughs> I just love what I'm doing right now. Um, and I, it was scary, you know, jumping out of public education. I've been there for almost 20 years. I didn't know what to expect, um, but I absolutely love it. Uh, and it helps that I work with phenomenal people and the Teach Better team is, is just a joy to work with every single day. Absolutely. There are some wonderful people there that I follow too as well. And then of course, everything you see on the website, all the podcasts and podcasters there too as well. And so it's just great. And I uh, wanted to share out this uh, message from Tim. It says, I wish Josh lived in Vancouver so I could bring him to my school and teach us more about restorative practices. Uh, a couple of other comments here that I did miss that I, I did want to bring in is uh, going back to when you were talking about mentorship and going out to other schools. Amanda Macia says, why do we have to take personal time to learn? You know, that's insane to me. It should be built into our systems if we value learning above all else. And then she puts here, we forget that educators are learners too. Also the empathize portion too. It's like we have to stop pointing fingers and rehumanize empathy. All right. So excellent. So thank you so much for the chat. Everybody's been great. And of course, uh, Bonnie, thank you so much for joining. I'm looking forward to Joshua's Amplified with Teach Better. All right. Excellent. Well, Josh, this has been an amazing conversation. And I want to thank you so much, sincerely. Uh, you know, just the fact that... Well, I'm like about eight hours away from you, but the fact that you stopped by my presentation at TCEA was something that, well, I'll never forget because it was just wonderful that we've never met in real life, just follow each other on social media, but we see each other's work and the fact that we were able to do that, that you stayed, you enjoyed the presentation and I got to be on your show. Now you got to be on my show. Uh, has just been great. And I've definitely learned so much from you and I wish you the best. And also to anybody, like seriously, this book, please, I know I've been mentioning it a lot and it's not just because Josh is here as a guest, but this book is such a great and easy read. And I mean, you're going to get so much like so quickly and it's really great. You're going to have some notes there and a lot of things that you can go through as you are an aspiring leader, a current leader, or even... As a teacher, these, uh, you know, these methods or these uh, topics can also help you as you can adapt them into your classroom too as well. But again, give it a read, check it out. I've been putting the link. This will all be in the show notes as well. Uh, but Josh, before we wrap up, here is one of my favorite parts on, uh, you know, as we wrap up the show and I uh, get to ask my guests these three questions. So the first question for you, Josh, is in the current state of education, what would you say is your current edu kryptonite? Yeah, this is the thing about uh, what what kills your heart, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I would say just working with teachers and them feeling like they don't have enough resources. You know, I, I think a lot of educators are doing multiple jobs and administrators too. You know, I think just in general, um, it is something where, that burnout piece is is real because how much is expected of every single person to not only do their job but do the work of probably about three different people and 
I'm hoping that, you know, sometime soon that that expectation will change. People are provided enough income to survive without having to do multiple jobs, but then also that there's an understanding that the reason people are feeling the, the way they are and that there's a mental health issue in education is because they're overworked and underappreciated. And so that, that's what's hurting my heart is there's just so many fantastic people that are there and their, their drive is to help kids because they, they love to build into the future of our country. But at the same point, that's not seen and appreciated uh, amongst you know our country. So hopefully that will change, but that, that, that hurts my heart. All right. Good answer. Thank you, Josh, for sharing that. And the next question, Josh, is if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? That's a great question. Love all, <laughs> you know, like I, I think um, there's just there's just so much right now that that people are are trying to um, say that they don't agree with or, you know, trying to take issue with putting their own personal experiences or, or beliefs on other folks. And at, at every point, it should just be enjoy each other, love everyone. And with kids, like, don't take it personal. They're going through a lot and they don't have the emotional intelligence to really communicate what's going on in their lives. And I think with the pandemic, what's going on, there's just a lot of trauma that's, that's occurred in the lives of our kids. And because of that, that's, that's why we're seeing the behavior issues increase. And so, you know, what can we do as adults to, to teach them what's appropriate and really focus on the teach piece versus the punishment. And so just, just understanding that empathy piece, the love piece, and, uh, don't take it personal. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. And then the last question I'm going to change this one up because usually I'll ask like, hey, if I was a guest on your show, but I was already a guest on your show. So I'm going to change this up and ask, what is it right now in the current state of education that you are the most excited about? I think what I'm most excited about is just breaking down traditional procedures and like expectations of what the model of education looks like. So for instance, with the pandemic, like, I know your job was insane, <laughs> like trying to support everyone and change the model like on a dime. However, I think it opened up possibilities of a traditional like eight to four school like day and what those periods look like. And um, I think, you know, with online schools and, and that, I think some states, not all states, but some states are really like leaning into that and trying to figure out like what's best for kids, obviously with the increase of technology with AI, some of this other stuff too. Like, I think it's just going to push us even further as like, what, what does that look like? Especially with high school students, like, do they need to be in school every day? Is there partial days? You know, like there's things out there that I think that like we can be really creative with, and I'm excited about what the future looks like with these different models, because I think just the, the brick and mortar school and, you know, everyone going in uh, for such long periods of time. I mean, that's, it's kind of an archaic model. So like, what can we do different um, to make it so that it matches and prepares our kids for jobs that we don't even know ex will exist, you know, because the tech isn't there yet. But um, I think, you know, when we're talking about future ready schools and some of the things that we really 
need to be focused on, then taking and modeling those future ready skills to um, potentially a school building or not. Like, I just think it's fun to to think of the many many possibilities that are out there and and what you know some brilliant and bright people will conjure up to to make sure that our kids are prepared for the future. Excellent. Well, great answer. And absolutely, one of the things I did want to share is one of the school districts here locally. You know, uh, I guess taking into account what has happened. Uh, I think it's one of the full, first school districts here in this area where I'm at that they added a fall break to their calendar next year. So they'll have a week off in October, week off in November for, uh, you know, Thanksgiving break. Then, of course, December, one week off and then March, one week off. And they still meet the required amount of days. They don't get out any later. And so I think that that's something very innovative, at least forward thinking to try and again, see what we can do better. And, you know, just make things a lot better for our teachers. So excellent. Yeah. So I'm definitely excited about that. And of course, all the new tech that you mentioned, you know, how this can impact teachers in a positive way and maybe give them back some of the time that they need also as well, just to, for self-care. So excellent. Well, Josh, it's been an amazing honor and a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for just how authentic you are for your advice just how amazing and, and the work that you've done, the amazing work that you've done and sharing that with us. I appreciate you sharing that journey. And I am definitely filled today to the brim, uh, not just my coffee cup, but my own personal bucket, you know, from learning from you today. So thank you. And before we go, Josh, if you'd like to sh uh, share with our audience members, what's the best way that they can make contact with you, maybe find your book. So go ahead and share away. Oh, for sure. So you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Joshua, double underscore stamper. Website's joshstamper.com. Obviously, I'm on the teachbetter.com website also. You can find all of our resources there. And then, yeah, the book is on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart. I mean, pretty much where you can find a book, you, you can find Inspired to Lead. So uh, definitely check it out. And funds, I just appreciate all the kind words um, in regards to the book. It really was created for, for any educator, and that's the premise any educator is a leader. It doesn't matter your title, even a paraprofessional has an impact on the campus. So yeah, that's, that's really what my mind frame was, um, creating the book. So I just appreciate the kind words and, and you giving a shout out. Of course, anytime. And for all our audience members, I want to thank Bonnie. I want to thank Tim Cavey. I want to thank Josh Tovat. I want to thank Amanda. And for all of you that are going to be catching this episode on the replay, whether you're rewatching it or listening to it once we upload it onto our website, please make sure you visit our website at myedtech.life, myedtech.life, where you can check out this amazing episode and the other 176 amazing episodes with educators and creators that you can take a little bit from, sprinkle it on to what you are already doing, doing great and just have some fun, you know? So again, thank you so much as always for all the likes, shares and follows. Please make sure you give us a like on YouTube, follow us, subscribe to our channel. All of that helps us get all this content out to our educator community so they can also get inspired and aspire to lead as well. So thank you so much for your time and as always my friends until next time don't forget stay techie